So that would put you at somewhere around $25,000 a month today in revenue. Yeah, that's right. And where were you about a year ago? We were almost nowhere. I mean, we had less than 10 customers a year ago, uh, maybe even less than five, honestly. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster, minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Graham McConnell, as co-founder and CEO of Nth Round. Graham runs all aspects of the company's operations, from product development, sales and marketing, to customer support. Before starting the company, Graham started in product design and development at Relay Network, after which he joined the quantitative investment firm AJO Partners. All right, Graham, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, absolutely. So you describe, you describe Nth Round as an equity management platform. What does that mean? Well, it's, uh, it actually can mean a lot of different things for different companies, whether they're just starting off and doing fundraising, whether they're issuing equity to employees or communicating with shareholders, you know, distributing documents. Um, it really is a very flexible, powerful platform, depending on where uh, the company is. Mm-hmm. How should people think about you in terms of Carta? Well, uh, Carta, I think, really is centered on foreign NA valuations and capital management. And we try to take that to the next level. Um, really creating a more engaging experience uh, and uh, facilitating communication between founders and their shareholders, which I think uh, in the VC backspace where Carter really lives is just not as strong. So is this more sort of like visible VC where it's more like you can manage your cap table, give login access to it, everything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Really interesting. So you're sort of a, I mean, don't, don't let me put words in your mouth. You're sort of a blend between Carta and, and visible. Is that accurate? I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, we really try to focus on shareholder engagement. And um, I mean, if you're a CFO at a, at a big company, I think we can look a lot like a, a toolbox for you. Um, but for smaller companies and, and founders, um, you know, having that strong relationship and being able to go back to your investors and, and ask for support is is really important. And on their end, uh, they, they don't, they don't want to just hear from you when you're raising money. They want to hear from you you know, or, or when shit hits the fan, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they want to know ahead of time. When did you launch the company? In mid 2018. And I actually, I started it with my dad, uh, who's been um, kind of a serial entrepreneur. So he's got a lot of experience in the space. Who has more equity, you or your dad? Uh, I do. He was oh, wow. very kind. He was kind of, he took the reins. <laughs> That's great. So what are we talking like 60, 40 sort of a deal? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, uh, to be honest, he was, he gave his side of the equity to all of my siblings. Um, <laughs> they're all involved in some way. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
he's he's been at the at the helm before and and thought that this was a good opportunity to let me kind of take the reins. Super interesting. Have you bootstrapped the company or did you raise? We did raise money. Uh, okay. So our our VC is NEA New Enterprise Associates, and then we also brought in about a dozen individual investors from the Philly area. And about how much did you raise? We raised four point three million for our uh, seed round. When when you, when was that? That was twenty eighteen. Do you regret that or no? No, uh, I mean we've. Uh, I think it's a very different dynamic. I, I was actually reading your last uh, newsletter from yesterday, and about you were talking about bootstrap companies, and it is a different culture. Um, you know, when you when you take money from a VC, you're definitely reporting to them, and it's a different model. They're very much focused on fast growth, um, whereas I think with bootstrap companies, you're more accountable to yourself and to um, you know. I, I actually tend to bucket bootstrapped and family and friends uh, raises kind of in the same category. And I think you're just a little bit more accountable to yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, do, I don't disagree with you. That's for sure. Um, okay. So 4.3 raise 2018, uh, you continue to scale. Talk me, you know, talk me through those early days, right? So I assume you had some connections at AJO you were able to use. How'd you get your first 10 customers? So uh, actually, I mean, it was all our, our personal network. Honestly, we, we really, when you're talking about capital management, you need to kind of uh, get trust in some way and being able to go to our, our local network and work with um, people that we've worked with in the past in the past and kind of establish that trust early on was was really helpful. Um, and then we expanded from there to, uh, you know, one degree away from from those close friends. Um, and we've kind of continued to try and grow mostly through word of mouth. So that's first 10 sort of back in 2018. How many customers do you have today? We have uh, 25 now, uh, and, and honestly, the first six months was a lot of regulatory work. Uh, we we started out on the trading platform, uh, which I didn't really mention, but um, that was our core for, I'd say, the first 12 months. And um, we didn't go to market until last year. And then this year has actually been a great year for us. Um, you know, I think part of that is the the fact that uh, founders can't really get together with their investors in person and having a tool for, for them to do that remotely is, is really helpful. And so I want to go back to why your initial thesis was the trading platform and when you knew that it was appropriate and that you needed to kind of pivot. So we'll get back to that in a second, but help me understand sort of the nature of the 25 customers today. Are we talking sort of smaller ARPU accounts or are these like big enterprise deals you're trying to close? We do actually nowadays we're mostly targeting bigger enterprises because they have, they really feel the need and um, they have much better ability to pay. Um, I mean, in terms of, of how the thesis started, I actually, at Relay Network, I got stock options and, um, you know, I was really excited to be a part owner in that company, but didn't realize until I left the company that those options weren't really worth anything and ended up giving them up. Um, and Well, they're worth something. You just got to pay for them, incur the taxes, and then hope <laughs> the company keeps growing. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then uh, if there's no liquidity event, you know, what, what yeah. do you do with them? Um, so that definitely was kind of the genesis of the trading platform. Um, but yeah, the, our current customers are more enterprise, I would say, um, they have more shareholders, they have K ones that, that they need to distribute. Um, and they have a kind of an office of the CFO that we can provide a lot of value to. So Graham, what are these folks paying on average per month? So on average, I'd say 12,000, we, we do have a, um, sorry, per month, uh, a thousand, um, we do have a lower tier now that's $8,000 a year. Um, it kind of just depends which which levers you want to pull. 
Okay. So that would put you at somewhere around $25,000 a month today in revenue. Yeah. That's right. Where were you about a year ago? We were uh, almost nowhere. I mean, we had less than 10 customers a year ago, uh, maybe even less than five, honestly. So the, I, I wouldn't really call it a pivot. I, although it's a pivot in terms of our focus, um, the trading platform was our, our main selling point before. And it turns out that there's a lot of uh, reporting requirements around having a trading platform. So um, we built all these tools for making sure that all of your shareholders are on the same level playing field in terms of information. And that's actually what turned out to be what people really wanted today. And so that's how we ended up being in that business more so. Yeah, Graham, just to be clear too, when you're talking trading platform, people shouldn't be thinking about the images they see from like the NASDAQ stock market floor. When you talk about trading platform, what you're talking about is essentially like a NASDAQ private market. There's only the angels that will watch LinkedIn when an employee leaves a company and they will go buy up just like you at Relay. They'll go get a small stake in the companies by buying up unexercised options. You essentially brought liquidity to that market with your trading platform. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's actually technically a, a listing service. We, we yeah. can't use the word exchange. That's that's an SEC defined term. And uh, it's a very private environment. It's no, it's nowhere near like what you would see in public markets where there's trading happening every second of every day. Yeah. So so this is a world that I'm just not behind the scenes on a lot because your point, it, it, you have to have trust with tons of people, right? And, and for them to actually show you and share with you like their 409As and, you know, the strike prices and all this sort of stuff. What are you, for someone listening right now who is an employee that's going to be leaving a fast growth SaaS company, where can they get liquidity for those, for those options right now? I mean, there's not many places. Uh, I mean, there are certain platforms out there. Ours is one of them that allow you to almost uh, that kind of will broker a deal for you that will uh, be very careful about releasing that information, which you referred to and finding a buyer. Um, but it really comes down to the company, whether they want to allow this new shareholder, or this new investor to come in and buy you out. Um, so it's, it's a very controlled environment. Um, and those other platforms, not ours, but those other ones will typically charge uh, between five and 10% of the value of that equity. So it's a mm-hmm. pretty big chunk. Well, that was my real question, right? Is that that employee that's listening right now at a fast growth SaaS company that wants to leave and maybe do their own thing, but doesn't want to exercise the options for whatever reason, or maybe not all of them, but some of them, if, if they want to list with you, do they have to go convince the founders who they're about to quit the company of that to list on Enthron? That seems like that wouldn't make sense. They do, or, or we have to try and convince them. Um, Interesting. Really, I mean, almost every stock certificate that you'll see at a private company has restrictions in the back that say non-transferability. And uh, it's it's up to the CFO to say whether they're going to allow a transaction to go through. Could you at least let put that at the back of the funnel so the employee signs up, you get a real offer, then that employee has already told the CEO they're leaving, that they don't want to exercise all the options and actually bring the offer to the CFO and see if they approve it via nth round? Yeah. We, so we actually have two different flavors of our trading platform now. And one is uh, a listing service, which allows you to talk about quantity and price and find a buyer. And then you can come to the CFO and say, here, I, I have a transaction ready to go. Will you approve this? Interesting. Interesting. So how do you measure your success then? I mean, you're kind of a marketplace, right? Do, do you measure like GMV through the platform or what do you care about? We we, we care about number of shareholders and, and who's engaging with the platform, honestly. Um, you know, it's, it's not the kind of platform, it's not like Salesforce where you're going to have people logging in every day. But... Um, especially for the investors, we'd love to see them 
engaging maybe on a monthly or quarterly basis with the company. Uh, and a lot of that starts with the company itself, the founders wanting to be transparent and forthcoming with the information or what's going on at the company. So we we definitely preach uh, transparency and um, being very communicative. Uh, but, you know, it, it really depends on the company. So Graham, how, across your 25 companies, how many active shareholders have signed up with Enthrown and are actively using it? Uh, probably approaching a thousand now, I would say. Oh, wow. Okay. So these are some messy ass cap tables. Oh yeah. We, we, there are certain companies that we work with that have three, four 500 share, no, not, not quite 500, but we have a couple of companies that are up in that range. Um, that really, you know, that that's, you're right. That's kind of a messy cap table. My gosh, what's the lesson there for founders who are listening going, wait, I don't want a messy cap table. What on earth did that company do to get 300 people on their cap table? And how do I make sure I don't do that? Yeah, well, I mean, actually, I think those companies went into it intentionally. They're, they're roll-ups. Uh, so they're ah. purchasing other companies with equity and all of the equity holders of that company then get equity in the, in the new company. And, um, you know, they, they kind of come into that situation knowing what the, what the outcome is going to be and, and they accept that. Yeah. How many folks are on your team today building this? So we have eight full-time plus some. Okay. How many engineers? Uh, three engineers. Three. Okay. So I mean, look, the obvious question I have for you is, it, it, I mean, it sounds like you're well-connected. You can talk the language, you know what you're building, but you did take 4.3 million back in 2018. And two years later, you know, it's a $300,000 a year company. I imagine you're getting some pressure at your board meetings from your investors going, come on, Graham, when are, when are we going to see some explosive growth here? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really only happened in the last uh, five or six months as um, you know we brought on all these customers and yeah I, I think depending on their mindset they are looking towards the next round they want to see the really high growth numbers and um, as I kind of mentioned earlier that's the difference of mindset that you have between a bootstrap company and a VC backed company. Yeah, I mean, Graham, it's going to be so hard for you to tell a story that allows you to go raise another round, right? That is going to be an up round on the 4-3. So then you have to go, well, do you take a bunch of dilution and do a down round, which you also don't want to do? I mean, could you sell a story sort of like Sahil did at Gumroad and say, hey, guys, listen, let's just, your your portfolios are performing well. Let me give you $4.3 million in write down for you to, you know, cover some of your other gains and let me, let me like buy back the shares. I mean, would you ever do that? I've definitely strongly considered it. And, and, um, you know, I'm sure if NEA was listening today, they wouldn't be, wouldn't be thrilled, but, um, it's, that's definitely an option that we're Well, I bet they would be thrilled. I think, I, you know, I, I've heard great things about NEA. I bet you they support whatever thing you want to go after because they know that 10 years from now, when you launch your next company, they, they want, they want first swing probably. Yeah, that's a good point. They, they are definitely very forward thinking and, and very supportive. So you're right about that. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, how much you'd, you'd have to sort of privately raise to maybe like buy out earlier, earlier folks? I mean, this is your business after all. Yeah, I, I don't know, actually, off the top of my head. We, we've we've pushed off. We have a board meeting next week, but we've we've kind of pushed off that conversation until late this year, early next year. Fair. Um, Fair. This focused on going right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's the right it's the right focus, man. It, I can tell you this is a need. I mean, this is the thing is, is people don't know it's a need. So like you have to sort of like convince everyone it's a need first and then sell. But I can tell you based on all the founders I work with, this is a massive need for sure. Yeah, actually, it's funny you say that a lot of our early clients have been non first time founders because they felt it before. And now they know the need, whereas first time founder, 
you know, it's just not something that you think about very much. Yeah. It's also a, a retaining strategy. I mean, there are people that you will hire early on that take a salary cut for equity. And three years in, you don't want to go raise a big growth round to give them liquidity to do part of the secondary, but you want them to stick around and have some ability to sell some of these things. And a private market, like sort of what you've built, allows them to get liquidity for personal like expenses without leaving the company. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You want your early employees to be able to realize some of the investment that they've made in terms of their time. Uh, maybe they have a house that they want to buy and or maybe they're having a kid and and that liquidity can mean a lot to them. Yeah. I mean, I remember Clay Mass coming on the show at Infusionsoft saying he had to basically wait till they did the $100 million growth round with Goldman to set an exercise price so that early employees could decide whether they wanted to you know take it or not and take some liquidity off the table. That's a long time. It was like nine years. It's a long time to wait for any liquidity. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, man, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book? Uh, the Messy Middle, I would say. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I really like Josh Pigford uh, at Metrics for whatever reason. Yep. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your company? I like Soapbox or there's also Loom. Um, you know, these, these video tools just allow you to directly communicate with people. It's great. Number four, Graham, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? I've gotten better. I'm I'm at seven now, I would say. That's pretty good. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Single. Yeah. Okay. No kids running around? Not yet. All right. And how old are you? I'm 29. 29. Last question. Take us back nine years, man. What do you wish you knew when you were 20? I, I, you know, I think the fact that experience is, is more valuable than, than salary. Um, I was very focused on salary early on and Looking back, I don't really, you know. <laughs> what was your first? What was your first salary you negotiated out of college? Uh, Forty-five. Okay, and what year was that? Uh, that was in twenty fourteen. Okay, interesting. Did you feel like you were beating your peers at that point when you compared your salaries of all your buddies, or no? Absolutely not. I had friends <laughs> on Wall Street that you know had quadrupled that, so. and that's why you end up at AJO. You you sort of climb that ladder and then say, you know what, I'm gonna do my own thing. So guys, <laughs> there you have an nth round. Call it a combination between Visible VC and Carta. Really, it's it's helping you give your early employees or anyone that has options the ability to actually get paid on those options, create some liquidity for that for whatever reason they might want to do that. Cap table management also sort of built in. He's pivoting around doing about three hundred thousand dollars in terms of AR right now, serving twenty five enterprise accounts, team of eight people. 4.3 million raised. We'll see what Graham does next. Graham, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan.